0: And welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ and with me today I have Buck. Hello. How's it going?
1: Mate. I normally say it's fantastic or fabulous, but it's absolutely so far beyond that it's hard to believe. Oh, you've
0: got some something happened, didn't it,
1: but it did. I had a fabulous cup of tea.
0: Oh nice.
1: And I've also finished my studies for my masters and I'm graduating. So yeah.
0: Hey, you're a free man.
1: I'm free and I'm broke. <laughs> or a bad
0: guy, Dr. Hoop. Something like that. And also with me today I have the professor. Hello!
1: <laughs> no, see, no, no, no. See, you can imitate it, but you're still not getting it right. There's no. There's, there's only the one master. <laughs> oh, you, professor? I'm good
2: too.
0: Oh, something happened to you as well? No. Oh, fun day at the office?
2: Well, it's a weekend, so no, not really. Nah, fair I don't tend to go to the office on weekends, DJ. I know. But, some people tend yeah. to do it though. Some of us have nine to five jobs.
1: Yeah, like I that. was supposed yeah. to have one of those, but I used to have to work weekends too.
2: Yeah, well, it's either that or weekends for catching up on all the sleep mess during the week.
1: Yeah, no, I never had that as an opportunity either. I used to work for my money.
2: Yeah, now you're just a uni student scabbing off the government?
1: No, not even that anymore. The, government, the government's cut me off. I, I've got no income. Anyone anyone looking to hire someone, I'm, I'm out there for a job.
0: He's a, he's a very hard worker. He even works harder than me. And that says a lot. That's so hard,
1: really. I hear crickets in the background there.
0: <laughs> uh, anyways, moving along. So my uh, first story today, Professor, you've got the cure for loneliness.
2: Uh, yeah. You're really not going to take the bait on me. The bait, they're saying that it's not hard to work harder than you. <laughs> no. All right. Anyway, this um this article which has a very interesting headline. Well, not headline. URL. I don't know why they've classified an article about friendships and video games under the URL men'shealth.com/slash-sex-women.
1: <laughs> well, men's health is a magazine, of course. Sex slash sex dash hell. Sex dash women. Um, that's well, probably what most men are chasing after.
2: Well, I assume that would Be for the relationships column, not for the uh, you got buddies who play games with you column. Well,
1: you know, some of those buddies are more than buddies, not all men are into women. True, some, some men aren't interested in sex either, so therefore video the, uh, games are more interesting,
2: yep But anyway, the um, so the meat of this article comes down to uh, interviewing different gamers who have lifelong friends through their gaming groups. Um, and it includes a doctor with a very, very uh, oh, sorry, I don't know the or a very appropriate name anyway, Dr. Grief. <laughs> yes, yeah. they interviewed Dr. Grief regarding depression and loneliness.
0: <laughs> One could say he gave them even more grief.
2: No, he helped them get past the grief. <laughs> no, is it grief or grief? <laughs> Well, I think it's a German name and the pronunciation is Greek, but, you know, I'm not 100% sure. So if you can prove me wrong, go ahead.
1: I was just thinking more along the lines, like, you know, the GIF and
2: Gaff. And... No, no, do not mention GIF or GIF or giraffe.
0: Or, or the uh, vase and the vase.
2: <laughs> uh, do potato
1: it. and potato. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs>
0: God, I'm we should have used them all. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I'm actually going to have to say here I'm very concerned the fact that the DJ actually picked up on where I was going there faster than you there, Professor.
2: Mm. I'm just refusing to give you the dignity of a response. <laughs>
1: yeah. You you tell yourself that and you, you hold that close.
0: Oh, <laughs>
2: Anyway, the DJ, when you're ready...
0: Yep, I'm ready, I'm ready.
2: We'll move on. Anyway, the, the author interviews a handful of gamers. Uh, one of them is Scott Belvin, who got into games as a solution to his social anxiety. When he was 23, his father got diagnosed with terminal cancer, and being able to meet people and play with them online was what helped them get through it. And the um, well, I think the interesting point that this article is trying to make about it is that gaming that these people are using gaming as a backdrop to open up to their friends they're saying that when guys are in person it's hard for guys to open up but online over a game it's easier for the guys they interview to be able to take down the wall and be themselves mm-hmm.
0: what um did they say what type of games that um they play all of them
2: but i don't think it really makes a difference as long as it's a, an online game obviously playing skyrim isn't the most social uh, game to play
0: oh i don't know the multiplayer option in skyrim would be a Cool addition Yeah
2: but that's Still not really a thing Like eight years later I
1: don't know There's um Pretty decent Communities
2: yeah, I think that it um it isn't the same as what this article was referring to. This article is mostly aiming for. Well, I suppose one of the interviews does mention um gamers who <coughs> gamers who meet on a online forum as opposed to playing co op together. And the forums for Skyrim are pretty active because it's got such a big modding scene. So there might be a community that sprung up full of people mentioning this. So yeah,
0: it does. It, the funny the funny thing is how with game with games with these games. It, it does remove the stigma of how oh, games are, or games does not inter- does not make no- does not make you interact with people? It doesn't um make you go outside and meet uh, meet new friends. Well, uh, see
1: that's the that's the biggest load of bunk surrounding gaming <laughs> because before games went online, we used to have land sessions and they, some were, they still do yeah like they they, they still people who do it, but like it was like the thing like you'd have a long weekend and it was like oh. Man Session coming up, Man Session coming up. And you'd, you'd be making sure you got plenty of sleep because you know that throughout that long weekend, it'll be minimal amount of sleep and massive amounts of gaming. And we we'll do. Like, we'll, I had a group we used to get together and like we we turned around and we actually went paintballing once while we we're doing it. like we went we had um the friday night session and then saturday morning we woke up early we went paintballing and then on sunday we went and played um golf Well, just sitting hitting the bucket of balls at the driving ring and then um yeah other times we did we like would i do stuff like that just that we went all just inside the whole time and we've had about i think it was like usually like 20 or 30 of us there or, or more like we'd have we'd all be able to fit into the same game sometimes but yeah we we, we had an absolute ball of a time.
2: Yeah, and I think well, one of the interviews they do actually covers a guy who sticks together with his friends from uni after they've graduated and all moved away. And I think the um, the internet, online gaming, has made it so much easier to keep in touch with people through gaming. You no longer need to lug your computer to a LAN party once every six months. You can just hop on and play whenever you want. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's, that's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. What's your game of choice, by the way, for a LAN party? Uh, at the most
2: recent LAN party I went to, we did Warcraft 3 with the, uh, the modded maps. So, Ooh. Footmen Frenzy and stuff. Um, Halo, uh, like the first Halo, PC edition of it, which feels so different to any shooter these days. Like, there's no sprint. Um, everything just feels a bit weird. But, um, yeah, looking forward to Master Chief Collection when that comes out soon.
0: How about you, Buck? What's your uh, go-to for game for a LAN party?
1: Um, uh, depends on uh, the LAN party bit. Yeah, we used to always enjoy doing um Call of Duty, that sort of stuff, and um Walk Down, showing my age there. Um <laughs> but they're still that they that they were fun maps and everything like that. And um the other is um Unreal Tournament. Oh,
0: nice, nice and it,
1: any of the Unreal Tournaments, just player on player, causing mayhem and grief.
0: Yeah, my go-to game when it comes to land parties would be just the old StarCraft games. They were f- they were fun. Although the annoying part was the Zerg rushes.
2: Now which of old- Style craft, are you talking about because nine years ago is a pretty long time?
0: Um, brood war. depends
2: on how old you are, yeah. Of course, you mean the old one, not just the old one, yeah. That's really it's just taking you cool. the new one, but it's old enough to be the old one,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, I, I keep they... thinking
1: you're talking about me here every time you say old one. <laughs>
0: But um, is it the, the other thing of this cycle that reminds me is how I think the reason why people prefer to open up through the through gaming and stuff, is the anonymity of the internet. Like it's better to discuss it with friends on the internet than, than discuss it with like your loved ones, like parents well, or siblings and
2: stuff. That is the point that I already brought up earlier. Ah, I'm saying. Yes, I mentioned that it's easier to let people in on the internet than mm-hmm. it is to do so in person. And that seems to be the reason behind why these guys bond over the Internet.
1: Yeah, there was um, there's a photo that floats around on Facebook and Reddit different times where there were a group of guys that used to do a lot of online gaming together and they would formed a squad for all the games and one of them had cancer and was or something and was dying and all of they, the first time they met in real life was that they all came to his hospital room just to be with him before he died and play some games with him.
2: Yeah, I used to um, game with a guy who's passed on now. He was an older guy. Not a, don't know if he's old, old as you, Buck, but uh, yeah, he. He used to be in my armor group and he we were some of the first people he told when he got diagnosed and you know uh, a couple of years on now it's been about a year since he died and well we still play together but um, it's definitely missing something. Yeah.
0: yeah. It also uh, the other interesting part about gaming inter- in, in in an essence is that games used to be about, um, how, about competition and now it's becoming more of an art form in terms of how the healing powers of gaming can change people sense well
1: yeah there is, there is research into that's explored the idea of the use of gaming as a therapeutic tool and it's it's shown some ridiculously great results with how it helped people um, whether it's with um, communication training and so forth or um, some of the people with ASD and so forth where they're not generally communicative but by playing games they can, st- they can learn to recognise Facial expressions and that sort of stuff. So yeah, like there's lots of research into the various aspects that it's utilised. Uh, so
0: guess-
1: just to clarify
2: there, DJ, um, yeah. you you mentioned competitive gaming. Do you think that there's been a trend towards cooperative gaming and that that has affected the friendships you made?
0: Well, that depends. Well, it depends on the game. Like if it's a game of Counter Strike, Counter Strike, then like <laughs> like you
2: will
0: like you have like you have like one person just go like, I told you, you're supposed to be the guy to hold the the <laughs> Why did where were you like you get like aggro moments at time and sometimes as well on, on a game of FIFA for example when you're playing two like two people versus two people um you will always have the arguments like I thought you were the def- no you were the defender. like that kind of arguments now
2: where can I strategically place sensor beeps in that to make you sound more vulgar than you are
0: <laughs> but the point being though it's just that competitive gaming as fun as it is it can be oh, I don't know whether it can aggravate the the situation or just or de-escalate the situation
2: well it depends uh, on the game like and the person playing it
0: yeah although okay let's play let me play the devil's advocate on this aspect though okay do you
2: really want to go there <laughs> all right so what trouble are you going to cause
0: <laughs> okay 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 so okay fair enough we open ourselves to the to, to our friend Matt, the, the the about our problems and stuff could you really trust the person that you're playing games with Well, you wouldn't open up to
2: them if you don't trust them. Pardon? You wouldn't open up to them if you don't trust them. People are going to be horrible in real life too. So if you open up to someone in a game, I don't see the difference between that and opening up to someone in real life.
1: True, true. But then there there is always... You're not going to open up to some random person you haven't been speaking with for a while.
0: True. But then there there is always the thing of you're still part of the team, Mm, but then you don't really open up to that kind of scenario.
2: Then that's no different from going and playing in your local... Cool soccer team or footy team on weekends and not talking to people
1: have you gotten in trouble at work for too much information again
0: no uh, i'm just uh, uh, it's just that okay i'm just ho- ho- um, pointing out the whole dangers of the internet that kind of thing but.
1: well here's the thing right most gamers that have been playing for a while have learned about the dangers of the internet like we, we we talk to each other about a lot of that sort of stuff and we we always give each other heads up about different things also if you've got someone in the squad that a noob you're usually looking after him. if you've got someone that's a bit of a, 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 a slime bag who, who's been a bit of a shark with some of the stuff you know that as well And, you, and more often than not you usually end up kicking that person out of the team.
2: Yeah, my armour group has definitely um, done that a few times, so, mostly with the, uh, the schism.
1: Like I remember when, I, when we were playing um, Guns of Icarus like I was playing that on my own when I was first getting into it. The community in there Like if there were, there were a couple of people who came in and they were being abusive and pretty Pretty sly with how they're doing things, and everyone was just booting them out like whoever, like you had, they just wouldn't be accepted into a game. You just got Yeah, no, get lost. And if they didn't leave, people would just walk away from the game and not play with them and go open up another map and start a game up without them. So, yeah, you, you, people generally tend to look out for each other. And the longer you're playing a game with each other, you get to know each other well enough. And you're not going to go in and drop a bombshell of, Oh, yeah, I got prostate cancer to so something you've only just been playing with for one game, are you? Yeah, or if you do, you but, um congratulations, um, you're pretty game, you're brave, um, coming out and admitting that sort of stuff. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Generally, because this is the thing, blokes generally don't talk to each other about the important things until you know each other for a while. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's actually true as well. Like it's it takes all it, it, it's it's because it's a trust. Like we like likes would always it's always the trust first, then then the conversation. Yeah, you know what, you know
2: yeah. I, mean? I I think that's true for everyone. But these guys have found an alternative way to get that trust and and turn it into a conversation. Yeah, that's like to like going to the pub together. These guys right. are just playing a game.
1: Well, that's what I was just gonna say. Like there's there's been like a lot of research that I was looking at um, back when I was doing my undergrad that um, a lot of the younger generations and even older generations now having a trend as well that there's less interest in going to a pub and spending time at a pub. And as a percentage wise, the population is moving away from that as a source of interaction socially because pub culture has become all about drinking only. Whereas it used to be a public house and people would go and sit and talk and just hang out and it would only be, you might have one drink or whatever or you'd have a cup of tea or something like that. It wasn't about getting drunk, whereas now it's all about – the pub's all about making money at whatever way they can, and it's all about getting you to drink as much as you can, as quickly as you can, and getting out of there.
2: Yeah, I feel like the line is um, being blurred between the sort of pub you'd see in Cheers where you go and sit down and chat to the bartender and just, like, nightclub-type places. It feels like every time I've gone out recently, the music has been obnoxiously loud, everything's been – expensive which you know they're running a business but yeah. it's discouraging compared to you know if I can go and buy a, a case of cans of drink for 20 bucks why would I go and spend 15 bucks on one yes. slightly fancier drink
0: yeah. Do you uh, here's a here's a question for you guys do you guys reckon like uh, video gaming and social media have have destroyed the, the whole pub culture in uh, a sense I mean besides the whole like pubs are getting too expensive to I'm to, going go. to
1: destroy you in a minute you're always looking for this all controversial angle all over how oh, no, does this destroy this culture how does that destroy that
0: I'm, because I'm looking at I'm, I'm just looking at one of the quotes here and they're saying um one of the quotes in the article they're saying here a few years ago as the debate grew louder about the illusion of intimacy created by online communities there were a lot of renewed talk about Dunbar's number the theory for evolutionary psycholo- from evolutionary psychologist Robin Dunbar that humans are capable of maintaining a, almost 150 stable relationship at a time no matter what your Facebook friend count says 150
1: Stable relationships. Relationships, yeah. Yeah, okay, I, I'm is... gonna call I'm gonna call a, that that's that's as an extreme example. Most people don't maintain 150 stable relationships.
2: Yeah, I think Dunbar's number at 150, like when he pegged it at 150, he's including, say, three best friends, half a dozen people you get together with all the time, like five family members who you get along well with, and then the rest of them are just people you talk to at work. Yeah. But um the point behind Dunbar's number is that you can't have a meaningful relationship and know what's going on in somebody's life once you get above 150 friends because there's just too much to, you're spread too thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even if you have a thousand friends on Facebook, you're still probably limited to, I don't know, talking to three of them daily and that 150 might be everyone you have a proper chat with in a year.
1: Hang, hang on, hang on. I'm supposed to be speaking to people daily?
2: You don't have to.
1: Oh, thank goodness. I
2: also <laughs> think that Dumber's number is less accurate people with autism.
1: I can go with that. Yeah,
2: because um, when I first learned about Dunbar's number, I tried to count off everyone I knew, and I felt like I wasn't anywhere close to 150 meaningful relationships.
1: Yeah, I've always gone with the rule of, like, I've got only, like, a handful of friends and tons of acquaintances and so forth, but literally normally only, like, four or five people that I would actually call a good friend, because a friendship's on a level that's up there and special, and you, everyone has all these acquaintances; they call friends. But the reality is, is when the chips are down, they're not going to be there. Whereas, yeah, like when you want to sit down and have a chat with your friends, like if the online gaming, like everyone comes in. You want to blow off some steam, like we all understand it, and you're you're just yep, no, it's fair enough. And when you're doing gaming, you're running around and shooting the enemy or whatever it is that you, you're playing. It's quite therapeutic to sit there and be playing. I don't know whether it's Call of Duty or whatever, and you you get that perfect snipe shot to take out the enemy. Across the other side of the battlefield And you as you do it You're just thinking That's all the angst I've got from today All the painful, annoying people on the train That were putting their feet up on the seat And whatever
2: Yeah, as long as you aren't changing the character models To look like your boss <laughs> That raises a red flag <laughs> Are
1: you speaking from experience there? No, I'm not. Oh. oh, okay. Just checking. I
2: wouldn't do that. I like my boss.
1: I was just I was just checking because I was going to say, you'd have to show me how to do it. Because <laughs> then we could make it so that the character models all look like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and Kim Jong-il.
2: I feel like making the um, character models look like politicians would get you put on a lot of lists and get a lot of visits from men in black suits.
1: Yep. <laughs> so let's face it. We're probably already on those lists already. So I think this is a mod that we could do in market and people would actually... <laughs> (laughs) be going oh yeah
0: can you imagine a skyrim mod with donald trump and hillary clinton as the dragons
2: (laughs) oh i would Uh, go a warhammer there be very careful with doing that because i'm going to recommend you not look up the hideous mess that is macho man randy savage as a horse
1: (laughs) what I'm I'm just feeling very uncomfortable with the, the very idea.
2: It was one of the early mods that um way back in the day that people made uh, a mod adding Marchman Man Randy Savage as well I just googled it trying to find an image for you but it looks like the um back in 2016 someone made dragons into Randy Savage.
0: Oh no.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I can't see in a quick search anything for the Randy Savage horse but I see,
0: much much I see the dragon edition. I see the
2: dragon
0: edition. Yeah.
1: Oh no. <laughs> Actually, I thought I just found a Donald Trump one, but I was mistaken.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll posted in general
1: for you guys.
2: <laughs> Uh, maybe I'm thinking of Tommy Wiseau horse. Oh no! <laughs> oh yes, it's not great. Oh no! What have you done? Uh, just grab the link for you.
1: Oh no, no! Someone's done Macho Man Randy Savage on um, the Wish Dragon from Neverending Story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that's no! He's so right,
1: not, not as the dragon, but riding the dragon.
0: <laughs> oh man, the modding community. <laughs> There's people
1: out there that just need to be taken outside and slapped. That's as nasty. Yeah, this
2: is the, um, the point where you just say, all right, that's where I draw the line. Come on, Master Chief, let's go. <laughs>
0: It's just like I think we've just we we have um overstepped the bounds of therapy to torture. Well, see, but, like
1: I I was look I was finding a therapeutic aspect to it. Like, who doesn't enjoy the idea of shooting particular politicians and TV stars? Like, just think you could you can have Tom Cruise as a target.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, even better, even better Chinese um Winnie the Pooh mod in a Skyrim game.
2: I feel like that would fit better in um in Civilization. You just get called to a meeting and it's Winnie the Pooh, and he says to you, Our words are backed with nuclear weapons.
1: <laughs> I'm still scared after Supernova, after what the Baroness said about
2: Winnie the Pooh. We don't talk about that, Buck. I had repressed the memories. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I don't want to think about that. Anyways, um, moving along. uh, move along, actually.
1: Yes, yes. Let's move, move.
0: <laughs> Bucky, you've got the story about uh, the sweating disease and its origins and how they're still looking for it.
1: Oh, you just totally ruined it. I was going to say, I, I normally bring a story about the latest discovery. This week, I'm bringing you a mystery that's ah. still waiting to be solved after 500 years. <sighs> Crying it out loud. It's hard to get good help these days, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, um, there's been a lot of renewed interest into exactly what the sweating disease is. It's one of those medical mysteries that's hung around for 500 years. Um, it appeared, hung around for a while and disappeared and has no, no one can actually identify exactly what it was that was happening. And even more interesting is the fact that it was restricted in its area where it was happening to just England. It didn't cross the border into Wales or Scotland it stayed in England. So uh,
2: I'd assume it's just an extremely localized area of global warming. Well. Wow. Global warming at this time of the year and this part of at this latitude it can contain entirely within your kitchen. <laughs>
1: Well, not just your kitchen, your kitchen cupboard, because and it, because it's it's really really weird. Like when you look at um a lot of the history of it, like when you look at the Black Death and all those, they've worked out exactly like they've they found evidence of exactly what it was. Whether it was bubonic plague, in certain cases and other issues in other places such as influenza, the sweating disease. They still they, there's no solid evidence of exactly what it was and the ferocity and efficacy for the mortality rate were. Was pretty profound like it was 30 to 50% of people who contracted it died and the time frame was also pretty devastating as well because you'd be sitting there before dinner you'd be feeling a little bit crook come morning you're gone so that's 12 hours that's that's a like Ebola level performance for a disease but its spread was truly limited like it's geographically limited to England so they said it seldom made it across the border to Scotland Wales or across the sea to Ireland and only a few cases in Europe. And it was predominantly attacking the young, healthy, and rich as opposed to the poor, the old, or the young, which is the general case for a lot of the other diseases. So, anyone out there who wants to seriously make a name in history for medicine, figure out what this is because there are people all around the world that are still trying to work it out.
0: Well, they have to find patient zero first, wouldn't they?
1: Well, they need to find a patient where they can actually show. Track, track exactly what it was that was happening. Like they found um, Prince Arthur. Like they've exhumed Prince Arthur's body, who was um, Henry VIII's brother, I think it was, or his son. I think it was his brother, yeah, Prince Arthur Tudor, um, who's believed to have possibly contracted the disease and was married to Aragon and was Henry VIII's brother. Uh, yeah, they've exhumed his body, and they they still have no evidence of exactly like, what it was that killed him and what this disease was.
0: Yeah, he's the eldest son and heir apparent of Henry the.
1: 7th. 7th, huh. So he was a brother of Henry VIII. Okay. So like, just, there's no definitive proof of what the sweating disease was and the way that it operated was just it's literally like um, germ warfare that kills 50, 30 to fifty of the population in a 12 hour period and then it's vanished. Uh, so it hangs around for a few years, killing people off and then vanishes.
2: Well, judging by how warm it was today, I reckon I might have contracted it. It's a hot summer.
0: <laughs> I think most of us would have contracted it,
1: now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well see, no, no, no. Wrong wrong time frame and wrong locality. You gotta be one, you gotta be in England. Two, it's usually appeared late summer or early autumn. Okay. So, so was it
2: associated with a fever? It well
1: you would you would sweat and that and that was the reason why it was called the sweating disease. Um and says, it, I, and you stung. Yeah. It was so uh, sharp and deadly that the like is never was never heard of to any man's remembrance before that time.
0: And it says here you we will get a uh, fever and pains in the neck, back and abdomen, followed by vomiting. You get chills and fever and ended with the, the sweat.
2: The found sweat. The good news is it sounds like whatever it was, it was too contagious and it burnt itself out rather than hanging around.
1: But here's, here's the interesting part though, right? There was five major ways. Five or four? Five. So first came in 1485 and then vanished. Showed up again in 1508. Vanish. 1517. Vanish. 1528 gone and then lastly 1551. So it's not like there's not even an exact match with the number of years between it for cycles. So yeah, the whole everything about this is just so, um, to use a word from Scooby Doo, hinky that like, everything about this just doesn't follow any of the normal patterns for a pathogen. So it's literally like it's just There's conjecture, like there was a lot of, um, there, there was clearing of land and chopping down of trees, um, all, all different sorts of things, but yeah, no nobody can actually say exactly what had happened. Like, follow, yeah, the, following the victorious return of Henry's army to London, the disease broke out. It killed 15,000 people in six weeks. Wow,
0: that's a... Uh, like, that's
1: the equivalent a... of that today would be, it would, it would kill probably two or 300,000 people in London or, like, depending on what the population is there. But, there, yeah, that would have been, like, if you got 50% of the population of London in six weeks, that's just phenomenal. Yeah,
2: that's like apocalyptic horror movie stuff.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, um, what is it? Is it 42 to 42 days later and 42 weeks later? Uh, 24 days. Uh, 24, that's 28, 28, 28. yeah. 28 days later and 28 weeks later. Yep. Like, it's just, it's the most phenomenal process of a pathogen and nobody can explain exactly how it was, what was going on. Um, like, if you survive 24 hours, you usually live and Thomas Cromwell, who was the chief advisor to Henry VIII and I believe father to Oliver Cromwell, suffered from it three for three bouts and survived. So it wasn't a matter of once you got it, it's arrived that's it you had a um, certain amount of defense against it No, you could still catch it again
0: when did the concept of hygiene um, came in that was after the 1500s wasn't it
1: hygiene they couldn't even spell that in room most of the time
0: because oh, okay. they,
1: they still they they still weren't taking bathing as a regular thing in England in the 19th like up in the early 20th century there was st- it was the matter of you only took a bath once a week so the time
2: yeah and the doctor who was like hey you know what if we wash our hands between patients, less patients will die, was treated as a lunatic.
1: <laughs> you laugh, but it's actually serious.
0: Oh, I know. I know. Um, I could say, I, 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 could be, I could put a guess and say it could be a case of cross contamination, but I could be dead okay, wrong. Okay, so,
1: well, I, I think you would be dead wrong because cross contamination with what?
0: Like, okay, for, for example, the war. Um, nah, the war how stuff. did it
1: affect London? Mm. Yeah, see? Okay, well,
2: so the doctor like there, was, was even, thinking of is uh, even a
1: suggestion it was an outbreak of. Anthrax.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one because anthrax forms spores that are quite long-lived. So, yeah. um, it could have like, it could have gone out and picked it up from the forest or an animal or something, and that would explain why it popped up every twenty years.
1: But it's never come back again in five hundred. Yeah.
2: Anyway, the doctor I was talking about, who was um, treated as a lunatic, was mm-hmm. Ignaz Semmelweis. Mm-hmm. I
1: like, honestly, like the crusaders and all that. Useful. Like even well, even um, the um, British forces when they went to the Middle East during World War I and World War II would look at the um, Arab bathing practices of the Muslims and whatnot, where they would wash their face, hands and everything like five times, like whenever they went into the mosque or they would bathe regularly. The English used to look at it and say, it was a stupid idea. And that was was World War II, like 1945. They were still only bathing once a week. A lot of these
2: religious laws, like not eating pork or ostracizing people with leprosy, are really boiled down to early hygiene. Back in the day, you couldn't guarantee that your pork was clean there was uh, a bunch of parasites that happened to enjoy living in pigs so if you got sick from eating pork eventually someone wrote that down and it became a a rule in the abrahamic faiths Mm -hmm. washing your hands again prevents disease becomes a rule like it might just happen to be a coincidence that someone said we should be clean before we enter the holy place but it works
1: yeah we'll see like um for the europeans bathing once once a week was a massive step forward because it used to be you'd bathe once a year. If you bathe more than that it would sap your, it would sap your strength. Because if you bathed in winter, you got a cold. But going swimming in sub zero temperatures and not having a healthy lifestyle with enough vitamin C in you and so forth is you're guaranteed to get sick.
2: Yeah, it's crazy how um like not that long ago people thought having a bath once a week was excessive. And these days if you go more than like eight hours on a hot day without a shower, people think you stink horribly. Yes.
1: But yeah like um so so it, literally, this is this is a medical mystery that's five hundred years old that defies every other pattern of identification. So if there's somebody out there who wants to find something to study and make a make their name in history, this is probably one of those situations that you'll you'll literally go down in the history books as one of the most brilliant people out there because there's people from um, Brussels to in, also in France, uh, Israel, or like literally it's there's people who are at the top of their field internationally who are all working on this trying to work it out. So how tall is this
2: guy from Brussels? I don't know.
0: Should we give it to the Elvis Lives podcast? Maybe they could maybe they could solve it.
2: I'm disappointed none of you got what I was going for there. Nope. <laughs> I probably I think I think I did, but I just dodged it. <laughs> the man in Brussels who was six foot four and full of muscles. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. <sighs> That's the way I you guys aren't playing off me. Oh, that was just,
1: that was a bit of a weak one. Come on. I'm you doing Yes. You could have given us a better one. Like, seriously, like I, th- I think your humour's got, you got no touch of the sweating sickness today.
2: Oh. I am ashamed.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, like, as I said, like, the DJ got my one before, about the, 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 the graph of grief before you did. Like, check your pulse. <laughs> I'm getting nervous for you here. Am I patient. patient
2: zero of the zombie apocalypse? Um,
1: There's it, a profound possibility.
2: It would be absolutely horrifying to have zombies chasing after you. But instead <laughs> of going, bro. It's just endless dad jokes.
1: <laughs> oh, my kind of zombies.
2: <laughs> you would throw yourself to them, wouldn't you, Buck?
1: No, I'd teach them. I'd sit there. I'd trade <laughs> jokes with them. They'd go, he must be
2: one of us. <laughs> he, knows, yeah. he knows more of these dad jokes than we do. What's that zombie movie where they cover themselves in- who distract the zombies? Uh Sean of the Dead? Yeah, I think so. Like they cover themselves in zombie gut.
1: Yeah, Shaun of the Dead. It's the same guys that are behind
2: um Hot Fuzz and so forth. The English one yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was also in um Warm Bodies as well. Uh,
0: yeah, let's give it to the Elvis Lives people. Maybe they could solve this pr-
1: maybe they could solve this mystery. Um are any of them epidemiologists?
2: <laughs> well wow. I'm going to pretend I know what that word is. Yes, I do know what it is, but, but it sounds like a fun word to say. It is. It's
1: one of those it's one of those words you look for sentences where you can actually get to use it. Mm-hmm. Epidemiologists.
0: Yeah, and whether they can understand the burden of, burden of disease and whatnot.
1: Well, it's not just the burden of disease. Epidemiologists is looking at the, like you were talking about patient zero and I was talking about the pattern of the pathology. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what these guys look at. Yeah.
0: But I got a question for you. With this sweating disease, do you reckon that could be Ebola 2.0?
1: Well, wouldn't it be Ebola <laughs> 1.0? But then there's also the fact that it didn't spread the way Ebola does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the long run, Ebola is a fairly recent disease. Also, the pattern of behavior with it is different. Like Ebola has bleeding and transference through blood. This doesn't talk about being transmitted through blood. Also, Ebola has a high mortality rate. It's like 50 to 80%. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and I feel like it's been 500 years. I feel like if it was going to come back, someone would have stumbled across it by now because England isn't exactly a remote place. It's not like the Siberian anthrax. That's been frozen forty
1: thousand years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it, this, this is literally one of the, the weirdest mysteries I, I've come across. And I just figured, instead of come giving on. something bit new for people to read through, let's find something that's a little bit old, older, and a bit left the field because there's medical historians that are still struggling to identify it. And I love the fact that they talk when they talk about they say about the um, ghost of Anne Boleyn still walks the Bloody Tower with her head under her arm. I mean, I would
2: like someone chops your head off. I do pick it up and go bother them. Like, <laughs> mate, you chop my head off. That's not cool.
1: She should have had a son.
2: <laughs> like, nobody cuts my head off. Nobody. It's my head. It stays attached to my shoulders. You chop it off, I'm going to haunt the shit out of you.
0: <laughs> the professor's on a rampage.
1: So the, the, the professor's now marketing um, the laxity. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're constipated, chop his head off. <laughs> uh, please, no.
0: <laughs> all right uh, anyway so our final topic is uh ben affleck's new project
1: it's
0: um yeah. <laughs> uh there it goes buck <laughs>
1: That's Ben Affleck. I'm sorry, but seriously. <laughs>
0: so, Ben Affleck's new project is going to be uh, called um, King Leopold's Ghost. So, it's going to be a fact-based fact drama about the plunder of the Congo by Belgians King Leopold II in the late 1800s. Um, Affleck is producing through his Pearl Street film banner um, alongside Scorsese- Martin Scorsese and Emma Kossoff-Tingler through his uh, Scalera Productions banner. Um,
1: Actually, before we go any further, yo. I've just brought up the article yo. and the picture of Ben Affleck if we can if we just look behind there, remember Disney was saying about the thin margins they they have for making movies. Yeah, Ben Affleck is stand, literally standing in front of a wall of money. <laughs> and who's in, oh, yeah. who, who's in, so, involved in this? Martin Scorsese. <laughs> so I'm sorry about Disney. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so um, what the right one of the writers? Um, Safinia um, is basing his uh, script on the um, Adam Rothschild book *King Leopold's Ghost*: A uh, Story of Greed, Terror, and Heroism in Colonial Africa. So this base this story will be covering a atrocious piece of history, which is bad, which 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 is pretty bad. And it's set set at the moment, it's early. atrocious,
2: which is pretty bad. Is that from the article or is that your own comment?
1: Um, that's from the article. I was just reading it and I was just struggling to not tell him
2: to stop reading. <laughs> yeah, that's. So- a a really awkward line.
0: I know. <laughs> so, it's said when uh, European countries were, were um trying to find ways to carve up natural resources of Africa, Leopold becomes the richest man um by stashing it into secret bank accounts, and um, those who refused were dismembered or worse. Uh, and as the book estimates there are more than eight million that were killed at this rule at this ruthless pursuit. Yeah, it's a
2: pretty brutal part of history for Congo. Yeah. Basically, yeah. the um, the Belgians rolled in and took over, and Run died. Yeah.
0: Uh, so the film would be looking at it from the Congolese point of view in terms of they were the guys that defied, defied Leopold and fought back.
2: And
1: defied him? Or they were just like, hey, this is our country. Get lost. Back on yes. the boats. <laughs> <F-off, laughs> Go back where you came from.
0: <laughs> so uh, their heroic plight sparked a daring and unlikely alliance between a black American missionary, an English investigative journalist, and an Irish spy. That's Sean Alighton. Walk into a bar. Pun?
1: Walk into a bar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's on the horrors that gave birth to the first human rights movement.
1: Yeah, some... it wasn't the first human rights movement.
2: Yeah, I was going to point out that sounds a bit unlikely. I mean, I, I feel like, like it first the first human rights movement
1: wasn't it. The first human rights movement was actually in England when they
2: abolished slavery. Actually, it was probably much before then when Og decided that his caveman tribe was being used by the other caveman tribe. <laughs>
1: Oh, really? Actually, we could even go back. If we want, we could go biblical. And Moses said, nah, You're treating my people wrong. Come <laughs> like off and t- double time and overtime. Come on,
2: we're out of here."
0: <laughs> and thus, what, thus the words came out. Let my people
2: go. I feel a little Andrew Lloyd Webber coming on. <laughs>
0: No, let's leave that to the mus- to the musicals people podcast.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, they told us
1: everything, we know. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Dun, dun. <laughs> so, this f- uh, film is born out of um Affleck's personal passion
1: Can you just give us a synopsis of this? Like break it down and not read the article?
0: Yeah, so basically this is um ben Affleck's passion project because he has a big interest in the African region so much so he founded the East Cong- Eastern Congo Initiative. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah.
2: That's cool. I could Yeah, he's got a bunch of good guy points now. Yeah. Well, he needed.
1: He needed some. Like, come on. He he was getting to be a bit of a dirtbag. <laughs> it was a pretty common line about him. And so he's he, got a big wall of money behind there with Netflix, <laughs> so he should be able to help them a lot.
0: And he's also been. He's worked on this project for several years, apparently. So at one point, the project was contemplated as as a limited series, but now filmmakers feel it's found its form as a movie. So I
2: feel like a series would be too. Um, too heavy.
0: I know right? Chernobyl. Chernobyl worked, and that was heavy.
2: Yeah, I mean, this would be really, really heavy. Like this is torture and murder and people being just horribly brutalized. Yeah,
1: yeah because it's coming from the Congolese side, you could have it so that well, like, actually, they did some pretty atrocious things themselves in response to the the Europeans. But um, you could have some light moments on it. But some some of the best stories are the ones that are the literally the most black stories you can get. Yeah, yeah. Let's face. Uh, it's, um some of the, the, the most humorous moments are uh, from the are literally the, the black humour and gallows humour that you have am, amongst a lot of the soldiers that have fought through lots of wars. So there's, uh, it's sure to be some funny points in there.
0: Uh, it's interesting to see um, a couple this this part of history being shown on the um, big screen. Um, is um, it
1: going to be on the big screen or the small screen? Big screen. Well, how's he releasing it? Is it going to be released to cinemas or is it being released through Netflix? See <laughs> so you. Well, it's just because he's standing in front of a. a, a image there with Netflix I don't know, there's a lot like an of movies picture. that aren't being released <laughs> to cinema now there's a lot of them that are going straight to Netflix and so forth I haven't seen anywhere here where it's saying what the expected release style is going to be
0: yeah but he's but he but Affleck has done a couple of um these a couple of movies um directing movies in, in a sense like he's directed live by night and um Argo and the town so okay. if, knowing Affleck it, it will be put into
1: movies I watched either of those Pardon? I don't think I've watched either of those
2: Argo you haven't Seen Argo? I haven't, but I've heard that it um, takes some liberties with the presentation of the Americans involved in the situation.
1: Like the the writer, um, what's his name, um, Sophinia, who he he wrote Apocalypse So like, I'm, I'm, it, I can see there's going to be some good things there with that. And as we said before, I, I was saying like with the heaviness of it, Apocalypto was about a pretty horrible situation, but they still had some funny moments in there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see a couple to see the um, actors um, that have been turning into film directors lately.
1: Well, at least, um Ben Affleck hasn't been a particularly great actor for a while now, if ever.
0: Is this because of the Justice League movie?
1: No, even before that. Like, I'm sorry, he's just he he's just getting to be one of those actors that you, you see his name come up as being involved in a movie, and you're just going, oh
0: no. <laughs> oh, but yeah, there were a couple. There are a couple of other actors that have done the film directors, like Ron Howard, for example, Charlie Chaplin, Clint Eastwood. Okay, toss-
1: hang on, hang on here. Ben, that Ben, Affleck. Affleck is nowhere near being, um, what's his name? The first one you said? Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Like, Ron Howard, he's in a totally different league. He's one of the most successful directors of his age.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. The, the, there are very few people who have anything bad to say about Ron Howard from everything I've ever seen. Attitude-wise, work ethic-wise, he's the guy that everyone respects and wants to be. He's a director that even Spielberg respects Ron Howard. Like when you when when you talk about Ron Howard and you got guys like Spielberg and even Scorsese and and um, Francis Coppola like and respect Ron Howard, so I don't think that it's really fair to say that Ben Affleck's going to be a Ron Howard, especially considering the fact that by the time Ron Howard was at this same age group, he already had a few really good movies behind him as a director.
0: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the, the other interesting thing is it's interesting to see um African conflict movies um coming out. In this day and age, I mean, the last African conflict movie we saw was um, Hotel Rwanda
1: hey Well, you've was never it, seen Hotel was, um Oh, I was just thinking. When was Blood Diamond?
0: That was two thousand and I think mean, that was early two thousand two. My memory says it right. Two thousand
1: six. Okay, so that's Blood Diamond's newer, and then there was what is it? Lions to Lambs or Lions for Lambs or Lambs for Lions? Sorry,
0: I've never seen that one actually.
1: Lambs for Lions, two thousand and seven, which has got a stellar cast with Robert Redford, Michael uh, Matthew, Michael Caineham, Tracy Falco. The producers, sorry, um,
0: that's about Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, but it's well, it's still conflict area. Um, um, Black Hawk Down. Well, Black Hawk Down, I think, was earlier. Um, but there's. Uh, what was the Sean Penn one? He did one a w- little while ago as well.
0: Oh, I think I know which one he's talking about. Right, let me get, let me get it up. I know which one he's talking about.
1: Um, where he's doing the um, UN stuff. The interpreter. That's the one. No.
0: Yeah, that is the one. It's the one with the. Um, no, Nicole it's Kim. not the
1: interpreter. It's he's. I think it's it's got a name like the shooter, but it's not the shooter. He's working building pipelines for the UN for water and that sort of stuff. Oh, but he's an he's character it was an ex um, operative.
0: Yeah. What do you guys reckon about the, the whole um idea as a whole?
1: The idea as a whole I, I like. I like, it. like to see it being done properly.
2: Yeah. How about you, Professor? Well, I think as long as these sorts of movies treat the subject matter respectfully I'm happy to see them. It's a good way to get people educated about history.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Sean Penn movie The Gunman. Ah,
2: uh-huh. okay.
1: So he, yeah, he's a, an assassin who kills the Minister of Mines of Congo and then he goes into hiding and returns to the Congo years later and becomes the target of a hit squad so yeah he's already looked at like Sean Penn's already done a movie touching on the situation in the Congo which is actually pretty decent
0: Okay. Anyways, um, so moving along, um, Buck, what game have you been playing?
1: Um, I've been sticking with Spyro, taking it through and just yeah, finishing off um, Artisan's World and going into the next. Uh, still a, a whole lot of fun. Nice,
0: nice. Uh, so, uh, found any flaws in the game?
1: No. Still just yeah, like, I, it's one of those games where I'd rather have a, an actual proper controller, but yeah, I'm surviving with it. Right
0: on, right on. Uh, how many nerdy beanies would you give this out of?
1: Um, I think I gave it what was it four and a half or four out of five last week. Yeah, probably still stick at the same level. Okay, cool, cool. All
0: right, uh, Professor. What game have you been playing?
2: I've been playing Under Rail, which <laughs> is um, in the vein of the classic Fallout games, if they were based on the mo- Metro universe. So I'm not sure what country it's set in, but um, the or what the main plot is yet. But I've made my way out of the first main uh, first main train station, and I'm doing the sort of introductory mission, which is uh, going to clear out some outposts and <laughs> repair some facilities there.
1: Nice. Yeah, and so it, you, you did say the, the classic fallout. So you've actually got targets and that to fight. It's not lonely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there are enemies. That's good. And Uh-oh. I've accidentally made everyone an enemy a couple of times now because it isn't clear about what's considered stealing or not. So just to experiment, I tried grabbing some stuff a shelf. Everyone who was in the place immediately like I immediately got negative karma with that faction and they all started coming after me. <laughs>
0: Ah uh, Professor, what did you what could you have it not do? What
1: well, yeah, yeah See you, you stole their, their twisties and they got upset and you're surprised. Pretty much.
2: <laughs> I mean it was actually stealing food.
1: Well there you go. You should know you still you still steal food, the fat guys are gonna come after you. <laughs>
0: So, uh, Professor, what flaws have you found in this game so far?
1: I haven't seen
2: anything yet that I'd call a flaw.
1: Um, any highlights that have, you've found to be really cool little nuggets of glory?
2: Yeah, I think the, um, the settings winding up be really interesting because instead the, uh, the default mode, instead of leveling up when you kill things, you level up when you find oddities, which sound a lot like the artifacts that you search for in the Stalker games. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um, an interesting way of, handling experience hmm. okay, so there uh, seem to be cybernetics which I'm interested in trying out when I level up a
1: bit I'm liking the, um, the game style I'm just looking at a video over here and it's very reminiscent of Diablo okay
2: it's it's turn-based though um, Diablo is real time isn't
1: it yeah well Diablo was just I, I mean like the original Diablo um, but yeah no, maybe I'm looking at the wrong because it's under a plus expedition so um, okay. yeah expedition yeah.
2: is the new Newest, um, the newest DLC. Okay, it adds oh, they... a uh, setting on an underground lake.
1: Yeah, well, this is this has got a map where you can run around. and It's got different rooms and all that. So yeah, the map layout so... is looking very reminiscent of um, the original Diablo.
2: Okay, so moving is um, a free action until you go into combat. Mm-hmm. So once you go into combat, it locks you down into turn-based, and you have action points. Okay, I think
1: Diablo might have been kind of similar to that at the, t- at the time, but yeah, so long since I played it, I'm not too sure. Sure. Okay. Just just the map, the, the map and the colorations and the... Yeah, it's just very Diablo-esque. Nice. Even to the fact that it's got walls of skulls in some sections by
2: the looks of it. Oh, I haven't run into that yet.
0: <laughs> Don't spoil them the game. Don't spoil them the game.
1: I'm not spoiling the game. It's in the video, previewing <laughs> that Professor's now loading up that video, so you can go and look at it. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be checking it out later.
0: Um, how many Nerdy Beanies would you give this game out of? I know it's early days, but... Um,
2: well, I don't have any complaints about it. I'm loving the setting. Um, I mean, until I find something wrong, I'd have to give it five out of five. Nice. It's because it, it's so far, it's hit every spot in me. Very nice.
1: So Very it, nice. It, this is this is a classic moment, folks. This a five out of five for the first time on Nerds Amalgamated. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Okay, they just had someone doing like big wall of fire sort of thing in the video, and it looks exactly the same as Ooh. one of the spells he used to
2: cast in um, Diablo. I bet that's the Psy power. So, one of the uh, character builds you can do is this Psychic, mm-hmm. and one of the classes of um, of Psychic powers is, is about thermal manipulation. Okay. I'm not a high enough level to learn any Psychic powers yet, but I bet that's like cast Fireball or something.
1: Yeah, it was just, yeah, there was just a the character walking along, and there was a Fireball. A wall of fire travelling around in front of them, and the ground was all alight. So yeah, it was very, very much a Diablo-esque sort of um, imaging. So yeah, if it plays like Diablo used to, I'm gonna just say goodbye to you now because we we will miss you. You will just (laughs) for hours and
2: hours. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's a good part. I think it's a uh, kind of one and done game, not a um, not infinitely replayable. So I will come back one day. They did
1: say the same thing about Diablo, but it was one of those ones. You can keep going back and leveling up more. Okay. And it just became addictive. <laughs> mm, okay.
0: Um, okay, so moving along. Um, I've been playing um Age of Empires. Um during I'm I'm starting from the first one. Um But I'm starting to do the campaigns mode in the Egypt in the big, in, I'm starting from the very first, which is the Egypt campaign. And man, it's I will say that's there are a lot of changes in the first Age of Empires game. How? Um, for example, the intro to the Age of Empires one, it's no longer that
1: yeah you already winced about that oh, so I know that's but that's yeah.
0: Age of Empires 2 not the Age of Empires 1 Um, and also in the old Age of Empires game when you were picking a, a campaign there would also there would like be a little cutscene and then later on there would be um the game info of what, you, what what's the mission and stuff like that in this one they, you don't get like any cutscene anything of the Empire or anything like that it's just Egypt Empire this is your mission scroll down and there's a hints and stuff which is pretty good to look at and that's it, and you start the game.
1: So you're upset you're not getting little videos to watch?
0: Well, it kind of b- b- brings the nostalgia. Okay. It's the lack of nostalgia. But in but in replacing nostalgia, they did improve on the performance of the game. Like the character models, for example, for the villages are pretty cool to look at. Compared to the old ones where it's just like little tiny stick men. In the new ones, it's just like these beefy guys. And I'm like, whoa, this, they've really upped the ante on the... Um, hang character. on, hang on.
1: Are you saying they got muscly guys in leather outfits? <laughs>
0: Yes. Do they have
1: dreamy? do they have dreamy eyes?
0: I can't zoom in that path I don't. I, I can't zoom in to see what kind of eyes they have. But no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been it's been fun. Um, just playing through the campaign. It's slow. Oh, okay. I've got my biggest fl- my biggest flaws for this game. There are a couple. For example, um, it's slow in terms of uh, gathering materials, unlike in the old games where it's just so quick.
1: You just haven't researched your gathering, I know. Oh, or maybe like you're just for, not even, using the. Cheat mode like you used to.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm playing it straight, no cheats whatsoever. Turn
1: on the big daddy cheat and get the rocket. <laughs> that's
0: that's number two, not number one. No, I'm pretty
2: sure it's number one. I swear it's number two, but I don't think the rocket car is in number two. What was oh, the thought... what was the um, nuclear apocalypse cheat? Uh, I don't remember, but E equals MC square is a bow uh, with a nuclear rocket launcher. Yeah, I think that might have been the one.
0: <laughs> but um, but my current mission right now is I'm trying. To, I have to convert. Um, a catapult with a priest. Oh man! Yes, uh, I,
2: <laughs> I think I remember that one.
0: Oh, that's a that's a. Is known. that the one
2: you start with just one priest and you have to build up your empire by converting people? That was in the old one, but now they don't have that anymore. Okay.
0: Yeah, they changed a lot of things. I was like, ah.
1: So it's essentially almost like a whole new game.
0: Well, it's not a whole new game. It's just, there. There are some elements of the game of the old game that have that, that 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 are in the game in the new one, but it's not a whole new game. I say. Okay. So, um. What else was there? In oh, you, the unlike in the um in your new art, um, real-time strategy games, you don't have the whole like you can turn the camera around to um select to check out to check the units from all angles. It's only just one fixed camera, which is very annoying. Because for example, if I were to um hit like five axemen into a barracks, and there's one villager repairing the, the barracks, I can't switch the camera around to select the units to attack the villager. I can't. I can't do that. In, the old, uh, interesting oops. that they
2: haven't brought that across.
0: Yeah, which is very frustrating. <laughs> I just I can't select it. Oh, but yeah, all in all, it's it's pretty. It. Beefed up significantly. Beefed up significantly, and yeah. it's good to play. But yeah, just camera angles are very annoying.
2: Yeah. It used to be that um, you I think maybe it was only in number two, but I'm pretty sure you see the outline of the enemy through the building, and you can click on that. Yeah, I don't remember ever having a problem with that.
0: Yeah, it it, it, it yeah, it was only in number two. Number one, you don't even see the guy. It's okay. like it's like is he camouflaged? Where where well, is he? What after you
1: destroyed the building, maybe they will go after him.
0: No, even my own You've units. Well, like,
1: they got one target that they're attacking, and they're just attacking that unit as good soldiers are doing. They've give, been given an order, and they're just doing what they're being told. Yeah,
0: but even when I um when I get when I spawn new, new units, it's just where the heck are my new units? Are they hiding in the trees? Where the heck are they? Well, you go, oh, they're there. <laughs>
1: well, considering the fact that you were describing as musty guys in leather outfits. <laughs> And you complain about the camera angles. Um, I'm probably sure that yeah, that they're, they're probably hiding in amongst the bushes, so you're not checking them out too much.
0: <laughs> and the AI for the um, game itself, it's sometimes it, it, it's responsive, but oh man, sometimes they're annoying. Like you can't let them sit on one spot. You can't let them stand at the spot that you selected. they will be it's not the one spot. It's just around that one spot, which is very annoying.
2: Yeah, I've got a friend who was complaining about the enemy AI, but well, I think you can have a there's an option to- Set it back to classic AI or the enhanced AI from the HD edition. I'm not 100% sure though. I haven't played it yet. Yeah.
1: So would you say that the AI in this is going to lead to the downfall of the civilization as we know it?
2: <laughs> no, because first the AI has to work out how to command people with guns.
1: It does it or is it command machines?
2: Well, unless it's commanding like guys with knives. And
1: hang on, hang on, hang on. This isn't for you. This is for the DJ. Yeah. <laughs> the DJ. I'll put this back to him.
0: Say the question again uh, by
1: well, you, you you always ask like the question of is can can you see this leading to the downfall of this or the end of this? Can you see this as leading to the downfall of civilization in the oh, Western yeah. Hemisphere as we know it, and arrive in AI control of our universe? No, it's not going go to an it's not gonna go it's not going to go
0: Skynet on us.
1: <laughs> Based on what evidence?
0: Based on the fact it's made by Microsoft, they haven't gone crazy on us yet.
1: Wow, Microsoft's been doing a lot of work on AI. Yeah.
0: But they haven't they gone. They are crazy. the
1: world's most um, influential software developer.
0: That's true. But they haven't gone they haven't gone corrupt yet.
1: <laughs> that we can prove. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I'll give this game uh, four out of five. Four out of four out of five. nerdy beanies. Okay. So, yeah. uh, so moving on to our shout-outs. You have a lot of shout-outs. Okay? So on the 26th of November 1970, in the base Terra uh Gu- and Guadeloupe, 1.5 inches, which is 38.5 millimeters of rainfall in a minute, the heaviest rainfall ever recorded. That's a lot of rain. Mm -hmm. Uh, 26th of November, 1983, world's greatest bank, uh, world's greatest robbery, 26 million pounds sterling worth of um, gold bullion, diamonds, and cash stolen from Brink's Matt's uh, warehouse at Heathrow Airport, England. The bullion was the property of Johnson uh, Mathe Bankers Limited, which collapsed the following year after making large loans to frauds and insolvent firms. Two men were convicted and most of the gold were never recovered. Insurers, lost. Lloyds of London paid out for the losses several deaths have been linked to the case and there's there are links to the Hatton Garden safe closet burglary in April 2015
1: and just for a little bit of context um, I actually did a bit of calculations when we were talking about this the other day and con- doing a, com- a currency conversion for the time from pounds sterling to Australian dollars it would have been approximately 80 million or 85 million dollars and doing an inflation to bring it to today's figures, it's almost a billion dollars.
0: That's a very spicy meatball. What meatball? Don't worry about it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, let's not worry about it. I'm getting nervous
1: now. (laughs) Um,
0: Okay, moving on. On the 26th of November 2003, the Concorde made its final flight over Bristol, England. Known as uh, GBOAF216, or its call sign, Concorde Alpha Foxtrot. The name comes from its official UK registration. The Concorde departed from Heathrow at 1130 GMT and made its last brief supersonic flight, carrying 11. 11, um, not 11, 100 BA staff over the Bay of Biscay. It then flew a lap of honour above Bristol passing over Portis Head, um, Clevedon, Western Supermare, um, Bristol Airport and Clifton Suspension Bridge before landing at Filton, soon after 1300 GMT. It was met by Prince Andrew who formally accepted its handover. It had flown a total of 18,257 a- hours. Until 2010, the aircraft was open for public viewing at the Airbus facility. Since twenty it has been the main exhibit at the Filton's S Aerospace Bristol Museum. Apparently, they're saying that they might bring the Concorde back. I
2: doubt it. It's very expensive. Yeah, very expensive, very polluting, and you can't carry as many people, so you lose the economy of scale you get with an A380. And airlines are one of those industries that legitimately has very thin margins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so our remembrances, 26th of November, 1994, Nimrod Workman. Yes, that is a name. Don't ask how we got that name. great. <laughs> All right. right. Uh, American singer, coal miner, and uh, trade unionist. His musical repertoire included traditional English and Scottish ballads, uh, Appalachian folk songs, and original compositions. Workman was a recipient of, of a 1986 National Heritage Fair Fellowship awarded by the National Endowment for the Arts, which is the United States government's highest honor in the folk and traditional arts. He died at the age of 99 in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, 26 November 2005. Stanley Melvin Berenstein. Is it Bernstein or Bernstein? Depends which
2: side of the dimension came from.
0: Yeah, uh, American author and illustrator co-created the Bernstein Bears, inspired by the ch- children's enthusiasm for Dr. Seuss books. The Bernstein's um, decided to attempt a series with animal protagonists themselves, settling on bears not because of their surnames, but also, as more um, commonly believed, but because they found them to be easy to draw. And um, Dr. Seuss also edited several books of the several books in the Bernstein Bear series and created a lasting franchise including many books, TV series, toys, and stage productions. Um, he died from cancer at the age of 82 in Solbury Township, Pennsylvania. Uh, 26th of November 2012, Joseph, Joseph Edward Murray, American plastic surgeon who performed the first successful human cre- kidney transplant on identical twins Richard and Ronald Herrick on December 23rd, 1953. Murray shared the Nobel Prize yeah, yeah, in yeah. Physiology yeah. hmm? no, December 23rd, 1953- 1954. Yes, My mistake. Thank you for the thank you for the correction you're welcome. Uh, Murray shared the Nobel Prize in Physiology or medicine in 1990 with E Donald Thomas for their discoveries concerning organ and cell transplantation in the tra- treatment of human diseases. Murray became the international leader in the study of transplantation biology, the use of immunosuppressant agents and the studies on the mechanisms of rejection. He died from a stroke at the age of 93 in Boston, Massachusetts. Her famous birthdays 26th of November 1898. Carl Waldemir Zeigler, a German chemist who won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1963 with Julio Natta for works on polymers. The Nobel Committee recognized his excellent work on organometallic com- compounds, which led to new polymerization reactions and paved the way for new and highly useful industrial processes. He's also known for his work in the free radicals, many, ri- many membered rings and organometallic compounds, as well as on um, developing of Natar Catalyst. Uh, he was born in Helsa near Kassel, German Empire.
1: Hang on here. Hang on. What was the one of the many awards he received?
0: Uh, he won. Oh, so one of the awards he received was the Werner von Siemens Ring in 1960, uh, which was joint was a joint award with Otto Bayer and Walter Repp. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was for expanding the scientific knowledge and technologic technical development of synthetic materials. Okay. Cool. Twenty sixth uh, of November 1920 is Istvan Sarkozy, um, Hungarian composer. Uh, he was the founder member of the Association of Hungarian Musicians, and in 1954 he was appointed Artistic Advisor to the National Philharmonic Concert Bureau and the Hungarian Recording Company. Uh, in 1957 he was made General Editor of the Editor Musica, and in 1959 he was appointed to teach theory at the Liszt Academy of, mu- of Music, subsequently teaching composition there. Uh, he was born in... Uh, I'm I might butcher this, but I might not. Uh, Petsabet uh, pets Hungary. Uh, pronounce it right?
1: I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> uh, so, on the 26th of November,
0: 1922, Charles Monroe Sparky Schultz, um, American cartoonist and creator um, of the comic strip Peanuts, which featured the um, characters Charlie Brown and Snoopy, among others. He's widely regarded as the most influential cartoonist of all time, cited by cartoonists including Jim Davis, Bill Watterson, Matt Groening, Dave. Pilkey and Stephen Paytas. At the height of at its height, Peanuts was published daily in 2,600 newspapers in 75 countries and in 21 languages. Uh, the strips, plus uh, merchandise and product endorsements, produced revenues of more than a billion a year, which shows earning an estimated $30 million to $40 million annually. He was born in Min- Minneapolis, Min- Minnesota. Uh, 26th of November 1988, Papo Julius Bjornsson, uh, Icelandic professor professional strongman and actor.
2: I was so scared you were going to say Bjorgensen again.
0: (laughs) I got it right, didn't I?
2: (laughs) You are close enough compared to the other night. Uh,
0: He is the first person to have won the Arnold Strongman Classic, Europe's Strongest Man and World's Strongest Man in the same calendar year. He played uh, Gregor the Mountain Clegane in the HBO series Game of Thrones for five seasons. He was also a professional basketballer.
1: Well, yeah, I, I can't see too many people wanting to get his way when he's charging down the field. <laughs> uh,
0: he won, so he's won a lot of awards um, in the strongman division. So he's won the uh, strongest man division in uh, 2010, won Iceland's um, strongest man in 2011, and a couple of more awards. He won th- three bronze and three silver medals in his, in um, cup in the first World Strongest Man in 2011, and so he won three bronze and three silvers in the next six attempts before being crowned as. champion champion in 2018. He was born in Reykjavik. Have you have you guys seen that uh that I I don't know whether you guys saw that Conor McGregor video that he that um Hufthor fought against.
2: No, I haven't seen it. Who won?
0: Oh, um, I think it was a tie. But <laughs> yeah, that was I a mean, very. <laughs> that I think was you crazy. mentioned
2: this the other night. But yeah, what did, what did Buck say Conor McGregor's like five foot eight, which is about one hundred and seventy three centimeters, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And half four is seven Yeah. So I'd be very impressed if um if Conor McGregor was actually able to hold his own.
1: <laughs> I think. It was more a matter of um, Hapthor was struggling to stay standing because he was laughing so hard.
0: Oh man! But imagine yeah, Hapthor in, in MMA. Um,
1: Conor McGregor is one point seven five centimeters, ah. one point seven five meters. Sorry,
0: can you imagine Hapthor in like combat sports?
1: No. Like <laughs> honestly, be... could you imagine? Could you imagine him throwing a punch at someone?
0: Oh, <laughs> that would. I, he I would...
1: literally. that only people there's very few people that are, would actually be able to match him on weight, and then on on his reach, like he's 207 centimetres tall. He's going to have one heck of a reach and he could crowd out his opponents so easily.
0: Can you imagine uh, oh, here's a fantasy fight for him versus Vladimir Klitschko? I
1: would, ooh, I'd probably actually still go him. Vlad was a bit of a show pony and there was a bit of um, controversy surrounding some of the decisions with him. Um, the Klitschko brothers were a little bit, yeah, there was, there was some ugly rumours about them. There was another boxer before them um, who was a Russian heavy. Weight, who was actually probably about the same height as um, Hapthor and would pro- probably give him a, a really good match. Um, but Hapthor's not a boxer. This guy, while he was a boxer, he was also a bouncer when he wasn't fighting in Russian nightclubs. So yeah, like a guy that tough is definitely going to be hard to beat. Okay, oh,
0: yeah. anyway, so um, moving along, um, events of interest. So on the twenty sixth of November, eighteen sixty five, um, Alice in Wonderland by English author Charles Ludwig um, Dodgson under the pseudonym Lewis Carroll was published in America uh, this was published as Alice Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll with illustrations by John Tenniel. the first print run of 2000 was held back because Tenniel objected to the print quality the entire print run sold out quickly Alice was a publishing sensation beloved by children and adults alike among its first avid readers was, um, were Queen Victoria and the young Oscar Wilde on the 26th of November 1977 an unidentified identified hijacker named Virilian, Ver- claiming to be the representative of the Ashtar Galactic Command takes over British Southern television for um, six minutes starting at 5.12pm. It was the first major broadcast interruption through the Hannington transmitter of the Independent Broadcasting Authority in the United Kingdom. The mystery has never been solved.
2: Well, that's obviously because this familiar chap just went back to his home planet. <laughs> not going to find him now.
0: <laughs> what do you guys thought of his, um, his message Though the message was so, it sounds so prophetic now if you think about it. Wow, well,
2: so, did John, it was. Hmm? so did John Titor up until he um, was wrong. I said, Did you say what the message was? No, he
0: hasn't. No, uh, no, I didn't. Um, it was basically saying, um, We come to warn you of the destiny of your race and your world. You may communicate to your fellow beings. Uh, the new age can be a great time of peace, but only if your rulers are made, a- made aware of your evil forces. It's a very very long speech. I don't want to go through As it. As the
2: planet passes into the new age of Aquarius. <laughs> All right, someone crack out the seventies pop song. <laughs> I was born there. I'm not going that. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, it just sounds like some troll. Yeah.
1: I think it was uh, a couple of um Harvard not even Harvard, um Oxford University students who were stoned and going and he, one of them turned to the other and said, "Hey Henry, watch this. I'm going to take <laughs> over the broadcasting."
2: <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the, uh, the Max Headroom incident. Some somebody managed to hack a um TV station and play uh, play footage of him wearing a Max Headroom mask. Mm-hmm. And it seems very similar, but um they are the, both seem to mention that the easiest way to hack these transmitters would be to hack the broadcast signal to the transmitter not hack the signal like not override it by broadcasting stronger mm-hmm. so I wonder if the scripts uh, were inspired by each other
1: mm. most likely yeah
0: and finally on the 26th of November 1986 uh, Star Trek Or the uh, Voyage Home premiered uh, since Star Trek had traditionally performed poorly internationally the Producers created a special trailer for foreign markets that de-emphasized the Star Trek pilot part of, part of the title as well as retelling the events of Wrath of Khan and the Search of Spock. Um The Voyage Home in, uh, ended Crocodile Dundee's 8 eight-week reign of the American box office. The Star Trek film made 39.6 million in the first five days of release, exceeding the sp- search of Search for Spock's opening by 14 million. Ultimately, the film grossed a total global total of 133 million against its 21 million. Cost, uh, which is a million dollar under budget. Uh, Despite grossing six million, less than Star Trek's The Motion Picture, The Voyage Home was the most profitable of the series, grossing one hundred thirty-three million against a twenty-one million dollar budget. Yeah,
2: is The Voyage Home the one with the whales?
0: I think so. I think so. I could be, I I could be dead wrong, but give me a sec. Because I know the the Voyage Home was supposed to. Yeah, it (laughs) it was the one. Yeah, it says uh, Spock determines that the probe signal matches the song of extinct humpback. Wales
2: and yeah, the they like travel back in time and Scotty can't work out how to use a computer. <laughs>
1: Can I, can I just point out, it only it, it only made $133 million against a $21 million budget.
2: Yeah. Star and keeping, Wars
1: kicked their butt. Keep in mind the
2: Hollywood accounting.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, I know it's a thin margin, but I was just, just thinking, like um, was it Star Wars A New Hope, which was the original Star Wars movie, had a budget that was only in the thousands of dollars and made almost $800 million back in the 70s. So, yeah, one up for Star Wars over the Trekkies.
0: <laughs> um, anything else before we... Call of the night?
1: Um, Well, we haven't picked on the Chinese hackers. I mean,. um
0: Oh, the penguin lords, we haven't contacted them.
1: Well you don't contact them, they contact you. Uh, uh. You
2: can't seek out the penguins. They must come to you.
0: Uh anyways, uh so nothing else, guys?
1: No, um well how can they contact us, EJ?
0: Uh we have a Facebook page, they can find us on Twitter, we haven't um and they can also find us on our email. We can also find us on that's not We have an archive of our old episodes and um, we have some merchandise. All of all the stuff um that we've been talking about will be on our show.
1: And how else can they contact us? If only we had like a Facebook group or something.
0: We also, yeah, we have our Facebook page, our Facebook group. Well, we tell do. them
2: about it, DJ. Tell us more.
0: <laughs> All I can say is that um, contact contact us if you want to be a part of the um, Nerds Amalgamated Facebook group where we can um, have, we can have conversations, debates, uh, share cool cool artworks.
2: You can tell the DJ how he's wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah, give us a break for him. Oh, you can play games um, like we had with um, what was his name the other day, Mister. Um, Uh,
0: that was that was on our facebook page but not our facebook group Uh, give me a second
1: it was still fun
0: yeah that was fun so many
1: guesses (laughs) and i got more of them right
2: yeah that's true that's true and you think you know anime tj i thought you were supposed to be our resident weeb hey i'm just old
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's his excuse i'm gone nothing can beat that
2: with
1: age comes experience and knowledge
0: yeah, uh, John. That was his name.
1: I think I, I figured he, he deserves a, a bit of a shout out for that. That yeah. was that was a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that was fun. Thanks, John. All right. Uh, anyways, um, that's it for that's that's it for another episode of Nodes Amalgamated. Uh, see you guys. See
1: you next week. Remember to take care of each other. Look out. Look for yourselves and stay hydrated. Root.